Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. <laughs> and, and my friend, the most beautiful man in the world, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Mm. What's up, Doc? Mm -mm. <laughs> Dude, man. It's okay. Hey, you know, I have been, I just had the occasion to be talking to a number of people in the various places I've had the chance to speak in the last, you know, three or four weeks. And people are really, I mean, uh, people have been expressing their their deep gratitude for this series. Yeah, I've seen a lot of comments on social media and things that people are really not just enjoying it, but just really getting a lot out of it. They're yeah. doing they're doing the exercises. They're experiencing beauty in different ways. You know, mm -hmm. I've seen a few things where like I never thought I would like this, or I never thought, you know, and, and never thought this would impact impact me. And yeah, it's been very cool. It's been very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just want to say thank you to our listeners. I mean, I, I mean that people are expressing this means they're listening to the podcast, and we're really grateful for our listeners and that you are giving us feedback, and we are enjoying being able to provide this for you, and we certainly love doing it. So thanks, everyone. For sure, yeah. Thank you all very much for engaging and and stepping into this and and letting us know that you are. Um, that you're enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. And along those lines, we would love if you could uh, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us because that helps spread the word and we want the word to be spread. Yeah, right on. And those of you who are watching on YouTube, we are going to have a post show after this episode, but we, we do want you to know that graciously Amy is with us today, even though she has COVID. She's doing all the work behind the scenes right now, and um, mm. she's going to be with us here for the post show discussion. So stick around for that after this episode. That woman is, man, amazing. Indeed. Yeah. And as we were talking before we started to record, this whole notion of like, I'd, I'd rather have Amy... <laughs> Well, not with COVID. This is not going to, that wouldn't come out right. I would rather have Amy with COVID than not for at all. I don't mean that. Amy, I don't want you to have COVID. No. But I'd rather have her, you know, she was saying she wants to make sure that she's at her, you know, top of her game and so forth. I'd rather have her, however that is, than to not have her at all. So anyway, thanks to Amy Cella and all that she's bringing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So we are here right. today um, delving into episode 10 of season eight. The Interpersonal Nature of Beauty. And we're going to be talking about the interpersonal domain of integration. Let's jump right yeah. in, Kurt. Yeah. So for our listeners who've heard us talk before about these different domains of integration of the mind that is providing a bit of a framework for us to walk through this series on beauty, we get to this domain that we call the interpersonal domain of integration. This notion that our minds in order for them to flourish they require and whether we whether we're aware of it or not and sometimes whether we want it to be the case or not my mind never only belongs to me i my the human mind mm -hmm. is always in relationship with someone else from the time we come into the world we are in relationship with others on whom we depend and eventually with whom we interact and eventually for many of us we become those on, on whom others depend. But my sense of who myself is, like who I am, is only ever a function 
of the relationships with whom I'm interacting. And it doesn't mean that I'm just dissolving into a sea of relationships and I disappear, but it does mean that in order for me to develop my sense of myself, that is always going to be in conversation with others. And, uh, you know, I mean, our relationship is a case in point. This whole notion that like that we're doing this podcast that you and Amy and, uh, and I, we're doing this together. I mean, there are so many ways in which my life is what it is now in so many beautiful ways than it would have been before 10 years ago, before we knew each other, yeah. before the three of us knew each other, yeah. you know, before Nicole Johnson, you know, gathered that team together for seasons. And there are just ways in which even uh, the relational connections that the three of us have, and that we even have with Nicole, the, the relationships that we have are so much uh, testimony to what it means for us to think about what it means to be, you know, humans who flourish. And we like to say that this this beauty, when it comes to the notion of beauty, that beauty itself is born right out of relationality, right out of our sense of having a relationship with someone else. When we get to the second page of the Bible, Genesis 2 tells us this story that, you know, it begins to tell us verses 15 to 20, you know, Adam has is given this task, this human, Adam, is given this task of naming all the animals and given the, the role of cultivating the garden and caring for it and so forth. And he starts this task. And at some point, God realizes in verse 18 of that passage, it's not good for Adam to be doing this on his own. Like this is not, this is not a good thing. And so then we get to verses 21 to 23, and God causes him to fall into this deep sleep, and God splits the human, and now you have two. And what's so stunning about this is that there we see that there is a wound that God inflicts, but he doesn't do it traumatically. First of all, he puts him to sleep, general anesthesia. It's always a good thing. You're yes. going to have your gallbladder out, you know, <laughs> it's always a good thing. But when Adam awakens, yes, you know, with a chest, you know, kind of chest wound that has been sealed over, and God brings the woman to the man, his response is poetry and song. The first encounter of relationship mm. of humans is poetry and song. It's not one of analysis, it's not one of fear. It's not one of usury. How can I use this as a, this person as an object to suit all my needs? It is poetry and song. The first notion of beauty that emerges from human beings does so because of relationship. You know, we don't have evidence of Adam walking around and talking like there's the zebra. Oh my gosh. He doesn't write poetry about the zebra. He probably could. He doesn't write poetry about some, you know, these things that he, by him, no, the first beauty that we see that's coming from human beings is this notion that relationality is the ground out of which this is born. And this is important because in some respects, it's a reflection of what happened one page earlier. God is creating things in the earth, day one, day two, day three, day 40, but he's doing so as we see over the arc of the biblical narrative, it is a communal God 
When God says this is good, he saw that the light was good. It's not just a monadic. It's not just a single person. It is this father, son, spirit, this relational, as we Christians would now see, this is a relational God. The beauty emerges as a function of relationship. And so this whole notion for humans, about like when we talk about beauty, we see that this is significant in that relationship and beauty are from the beginning intertwined. And then we see that beauty actually has a relationship with us, right? We, we often talk about, you know, these, these four W's that it brings us, you know, we, we wonder, welcome, worship. And then the, the word that you've added that's so important, this, this work that we have to enter into having the relationship with beauty. And then, you know, interestingly enough, one of the things that makes us uniquely human that tells us that we are different from any other creature is it has to do with beauty, right? Every other creature has to feed itself. We feed ourselves. Every other creature that is a, you know, a, a sexually reproducing animal, like they have to have sex with each other, whether it's a deer or whether it's a hedgehog, they have to do all that to reproduce. Yep, they have to do all that. We all drink water. We all do these things. But only humans respond to beauty in the way that you do. Like you don't typically ever come, you know, you come around the corner and there is a, like a whole, I don't, I don't know what, a herd of cattle, a flock of seagulls. What do you call squirrels? I don't know. What, I don't know. What, I, Rodents. <laughs> pests. <laughs> things that are eating my bird feed that I'm not happy with. <laughs> you got a murder of crows. Um, and I, well, I think I'm, I'm not going to go there about squirrels because that would, Peter would come after me. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Well, okay, so we have, let's let's talk about a murder of crows. Since we have the adjective or, yes. or the, a murder, right? Yeah, whatever a noun or the murder, a murder of crows. Are you serious? Yes, it's a murder of crows. I yeah. only I only knew murder to have one definition. I'd like to murder crows. Here's I a, like to. I mean, I could I could do. Well, Pete, I shouldn't say that here because no. Pete has come. Like because no. I mean, but okay, but you don't typically come upon a murder of crows. <laughs> on a bunch of power lines and you hear them say like, George, look at the sunset. Right. Right. No, they're, they're not. Animals are, you know, they would walk right past Van Gogh and like not even notice. Right. We respond to, we have a relationship with beauty in a way that no other creature does. In the sense that beauty was created, it's clear that God it like beauty is just, he could not make the world any other way, but that it would be an expression of beauty because this is the essence of hmm. his own being. And if we're going to be like him, we also are going to have a relation. Like we're, we're going to encounter it and we're going to say things to each other. It moves me, but then I want to turn to you and say, like, dude, as we're going to get to, today when we talk about today's artistic offering right like there is some like there's the painting and oh my goodness because we are responding in ways that only creatures made in god's image respond to it it is created beauty is created to evoke 
a response and then move us, not just move us emotionally, but move us to action, move us to want to care for things, move us to want to create more beauty in the world. It moves us toward relationship with each other. Again, we get this sense that, you know, in Genesis 2, 21 to 23, where Adam is responding with poetry and song. Can you imagine being Eve? Like she's never heard poetry or song. Right. And the first time she hears it, she's like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know that I, I thought that I could evoke this in someone, you know, but this whole sense that it deepens our relationship with one another. And it's not just deepening our relationship with one another in a sense like, oh my gosh, I like being in the room with you. Like, it's just, it's just really nice to be with you. But it's this sense that we are wanting now to make good things together. We, and, we, and we are going to become increasingly complete. We want to become more and more like our Father in heaven. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, be ye complete. Be ye whole. The, word, the English word perfect kind of gets in the way of what the Aramaic is really trying to get at this notion of becoming complete, becoming full, becoming integrated, becoming whole. And beauty calls us and pulls us into that space in no small part because we have a longing to share beauty with each other and this capacity of beauty to draw us together. We've spoken on this podcast on any number of occasions about Bedrin Smailovic, uh, the cellist of Sarajevo, which, you know, it, it even when, no matter how often we mention it, it still is stunning to me that in the midst of all the violence of those Balkan wars, that one man with a cello could stop artillery and sniper fire for 21 days. It's amazing. What beauty calls us to do is not just consider the beauty itself. It pauses us long enough to consider each other. Mm. And so it is one of the ways that God allows the material world to be part of the way that he calls us to each other and to himself. You know, it's I, I love that um that beauty causes us to pause. Mm -hmm. It feels like, and, and probably every generation has always felt this way, but it feels like if there's ever a time where we need to purposely pause mm. and allow beauty to do what beauty is going to do mm -hmm. and um, expose things to us and, and, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and then allow us to go to one another and, mm -hmm. and discuss it and, mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. But I love this, this pause, this pause of beauty. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is really different, you know, it's than, than what we typically encounter in most of our media outlets. I was looking at the Washington Post today. We're recording on the 8th. I think this is the 8th, right? The 8th of yes. December, 2023. And on the front page, both above and below the fold of the Post, uh, there's not a single story that is not anxiety-provoking. Not a single story. As if those are the only stories that exist in the world. Now, all you have to do is turn two sections in from that, and you get to the style section. And when you pull the style section out and you look at it, 
it's as if the front page doesn't exist. Because here we're going to talk about movies and we're going to talk about this and we're going to talk about that. And, you know, maybe the beauty here or the symphony there or the this or that or this rapper or that artist. So we're going to talk about the style section, all of which are reasonable things to talk about. But when you get to it, it's as if what you just encountered on the front page, which is nothing but fear mongering. Right. Somehow you just like turn the channel. And that is not pausing. Pausing is looking at the front page and waiting long enough to be curious about, wait a minute, where is the beauty in Gaza right now? We might say, oh, there's no beauty in Gaza with all of the violence. And my guess is we will only later hear stories of beauty and goodness that are emerging out of the carnage, but nobody wants to talk about that. Hmm. To pause means to wait long enough to consider and to look for and to peer and to gaze, to be present and wait for beauty to emerge, not by simply like distracting myself by looking at the style section and pretending that the front page doesn't exist, but by being at the front page and looking for beauty in the places that we would least expect to find it, which is exactly what God does when Jesus comes. And it's exactly what happens to Jesus. When we look at the crucifixion, we would say there's nothing about this. There's nothing about this where beauty exists. But if we look at it through the lens of Easter, then we see that we can begin to imagine beauty in the very space of the most horrific thing human beings have done to each other. We, we, we mean, we're, we're pretty good at doing horrific things to one another. But it'd be pretty difficult to do anything worse than to crucify somebody. And so um, it causes us to pause. And now it's the season, you know, it, it, it reminds me of the, I don't remember if it was in the last episode or before where we, we may have mentioned this, this notion, you know, it's, we're, we're nearing Christmas and in World War I, when the Germans and the allies, you know, paused to yeah. have a day of Christmas celebration and playing soccer with each other. And then, you know, like they go back to the trenches on the 26th and start, you know, yeah, you know, you know, ramp up the killing fields again, and um, humans, man, it's hard for us to pause. But if we do, we will not just consider beauty; we will consider each other, and we're not just considering beauty as it comes to us. We're also wanting to imagine how we co-create it. Once again, we're reminded of the end of chapter two of Genesis, this notion that the man and his wife were naked and unashamed, this idea that we are both differentiated. We are differentiated from other people, not just males and females, but ethnically we're different from other people. We have different economic connections with each other. We have different cultural, different, all kinds of these differences. But we want to be linked to one another. We want to be linked intimately and in the absence of shame, but with great vulnerability. They're naked. Right? And so this notion that we want to be vulnerable with those with whom we have great difference in the absence of shame in order for us to create beauty in the world, for us to become the beauty that we are creating, that we sense and see in nature, that we sense and see in 
human artistic endeavor. When we think about that, I, you know, we've on here before, we've talked about Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and all the different elements of it. And like any great artistic production, there are so many things about this that there's so many different things about it from the, you know, all the different sections of the orchestra, but also that there's a choral arrangement with this. But not only artistic creations, but also the possibility of revealing and healing and recommissioning of personal lives and relationships. You know, you all may have heard, Pepper and I took a trip to El Salvador, and we have so much to share with you. In fact, in a future episode this season, Amy will interview Pepper and me about our trip. Pep, you remember Vanessa, the mother of the two little babies? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, we went to her house. Vanessa is a mother of four, two of which are twin babies. You know, we witnessed Vanessa and her husband going to great, and I, I mean great, lengths to provide for their family. And the thing that I realized, you know, in the moment is they had the very same dreams and hopes for their kids as we have for ours. And what we discovered was that with the support of a compassion sponsorship, it's possible for those dreams to be realized. You know, Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we're so aware of the amazing work that they do. And one of the unique features about Compassion is that they work with the local church. And what I love about this is that when help arrives, it arrives with a familiar face. We witnessed this impact firsthand in the way families experienced feeling seen, soothed, safe, and secure. You know, we saw the need firsthand in El Salvador. Consequently, we are centering our efforts there. However, should you feel a call to sponsor a child in another part of the world, you'll have that option as well. We as a community get to be part of this mission. We invite you to join us by sponsoring a child. $43 a month provides a child with all their basic needs and hope for a brighter future. Go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M forward slash K-N-O-W-N. And remember, $43 a month will literally change a child's life. Join us. Dude, I, I'm like, so we're, we're recording today on the 8th and we're in the middle, in, in our practice, we're in the middle of two and a half days of an in-person intensive yeah. new story of behavioral health where our staff members are leading these, this group of 24 people each. There's three groups of eight people who are going through eight different 75-minute confessional community experiences over the course of two and a half days. Two and a half days go by and everybody is wrung out. <laughs> everybody the the people who are participating the clinicians i mean we're just leaving it all in the field and like in the last two and a half days i'm telling you i have been in the room in which i'm like i cannot believe what i just saw yeah in terms of beauty emerging from people's stories where everybody in the room is weeping because of the trauma and the pain and the carnage that we've heard and witnessed, but because someone is coming for somebody. And these are people who didn't know each other at all, literally, Wednesday morning. And by Friday afternoon, they don't want to leave Northern Virginia. Right. 
And you, you watch beauty emerging in ways that you, you can't find words you, and to talk about you this. Do, I just want to you, – you watch beauty emerge. And Dude, yeah. so often the beauty that's emerging comes out of what we perceive as the ugliness, the, the most ugly things that could be. And yet in that – Talk about that for a minute, like that beauty emerging out of those places. Well, I'll, okay, I'll just give one example in general terms, you know, without betraying any confidences. So, so one one person had this experience in which they uh, really, I mean, in the course of telling their story, and we have we have this model that we've talked about in another yeah. podcast series on these confessional communities, this this model of storytelling liturgy, and they had shared their story, and then they got feedback, right, the emotional responses of people that really identified this experience, this place of anger that this person held that they they thought they had dealt with years ago. And the next thing you know, this person discovers that actually I have this, like, I, I got, I got Lake Mead sitting behind the Hoover Dam and it is a lake of rage hmm. that had to do with particular experiences that this person had in their life. And we have this practice. We, there is this thing that we do because, you know, anger is is a thing that like it is not an abstraction right is a thing that you feel in your hands in your chest and you, like you have to do something physically with your rage and we have assignments for people they're going to go find a heavy bag they're going to go they're going to go lift something but in our offices we have a tennis racket we have a tennis racket and an ottoman and we have ottomans that have had the living crap beaten out of them, but they are really, they're, they're, I don't know who made these things, but these are, these are tough Ottomans and the tennis racket. And of course, if you're in the room next door or even down the hall, you're wondering, is everybody okay in the office? Because somebody is at the top of their lungs yelling or screaming while they are physically presenting their rank, their anger. They are like working out their anger. But here's the beautiful thing, Pat. They're not, we, we don't send them off to a separate like soundproof room where they are by themselves or they and just one other person. Because it's not just that if I have anger, like I have to express it. When I have anger and I need to express it, I also need it to be received. I need someone to hear it and receive it in order for me to know that my anger will not overwhelm me. And the only way that I'm going to know that is if I can see that it's not overwhelming you. And then I can know that I can be okay too. Hmm. The reason that I have kept it so tightly bound up is because it terrifies me. So this happens, right? This happens and you think, oh, there, oh, this is great because we're getting angry. And that, but, but that, it, oh, no, it does not stop there. Because what happens next is that this person later comes circles back around. This is when I was in the room with them. This person circles back around and says, right now I'm worried. I'm worried about, because there's a part of me that feels really ashamed for having done in this room what I did. Because, you know, evil is going to use shame at every opportunity, every opportunity it has, even when good work is being done, especially when good work is being done. And this other person... That, 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 so there's 
the storyteller, mm -hmm. and they, in particular, were directing their concern toward one other person in the room that they thought they were really they were they were afraid to look at them. And this other person said, "I can't tell you." how much comfort and confidence I have right now, how much more connected I feel to you because of all that you brought into the room with your anger. Because it gives me a sense of comfort and confidence that I can be the same way because I know that I have anger that I didn't know that I had before you brought this into the room. And I just want you to know if there's more, I want it. I want it in the room. I, I'm not gonna tell you not to be ashamed. I'm gonna tell you to look at me, looking at you and tell you how grateful I am that you, with all your parts, with all your anger, are in the room. And the, and the, and the storyteller then says this. So I, I said, so what's, what's coming up for you now that you've heard this other person? And he said, like, oh my gosh, like I, 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 he said, the closest thing I can come to it is, is joy. He's not done. And it's like, okay, the, the closest I have to it is the joy that I felt at the birth of my daughter. Wow. He said, yeah, it's, it's, it's new birth. It's new birth. And I'm like, holy freaking cow. It's new life. Like this, this is new. This is John three sixteen. This is the gospel in living, breathing, embodied color. This is beauty. This is spiritual formation happening in the room. This is the gospel being woven into and worked out in real time and space. But that's not it. That's not the only thing because there are other people in the room who are watching this happen whose lives are being, at first, like there are people, other people say like, yes, I was really, at first I was really afraid because anger is a terrifying thing. And then I just find myself becoming more comfortable because everybody else was, because they were also contained by the community. Like the community held the anger. They didn't shame it. The anger was contained too. He wasn't, this person wasn't like shouting at people. They weren't throwing lamps around the room. They were, it was directed physical response. And what do you get out of this? New birth. Yeah. Like you can't make this stuff up. Right. And this will now be energy, this beauty. This is how he was talking about. Like, how do you go? Like only the God of the Bible takes rage and turns it into beauty. It was killing me. Yeah. And I mean, it, and, and so this personal and this personal transformation that's taking place for the storyteller only happens because it's interpersonal changes that are happening. It's the interpersonal domain of how beauty is because it's happening between people that we otherwise I'd like to know. I'm just going to contain my anger because I'm too terrified that if I bring it into the room, you know, all the destruction that it's going to bring and people, I'll, I'll be ashamed and people will not want to have anything more to do with me and so forth and so on. And so this is one of these, you know, we often talk, we, we talk here about this arc of the biblical narrative and moving from imagination to incarnation, making it an embodied thing. This is something that was in the mind of the storyteller that then became fulminant and embodied and material as he hits the ottoman. But then as he names his shame, and then as someone comes for him, mm -hmm. and shame, like, I transform it into joy. Like, I, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you just, and so it then comes back to other people. It affects other people's imagination about what they imagine that they can become because it's not good for the man to be alone, God says to himself. 
So we're going to do it this way. And because there will be relationship in the world, just like with us, because there will be relationship, even in the middle of wounding, the result is poetry and song. Interpersonal development of beauty. Man. Yeah. It's just it's just amazing what God's doing. Amazing. It's, it's just, uh, thanks be to God. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that brings us today's artistic offering. Yeah. And uh, last week, we, we asked you to spend some time uh, with Van Gogh's irises. And throughout the week, I have, I have a page on my computer. I've downloaded the image. And throughout the week, I've just been, whenever I can, pausing, turning to it, mm. sitting in front mm. of it. Um, I have it right now on my second screen here. And it, it's absolutely mesmerizing and, and beautiful. And so I, um, about 12 years ago, my wife and I moved my, we moved our family from Los Angeles to back to Kentucky. And, um, you know, we've been very happy about this move. We love it here. Uh, there are a few things that I miss about Los Angeles, aside from some friendships that there, there are a few places that I miss, um, not necessarily in this order, but I would say Trader Joe's, although we just got, we just got one nearby and I'm very excited about that. Uh, great. Great. In and out Burger, which I don't know that they'll ever make it to Kentucky, but uh, I was just in Texas last week and they had them there. And wow. the J. Paul Getty, the museum, mm-hmm. the um, the Getty Museum. Mm-hmm. And this was a place that we would go to as a family probably two or three times a year. And it is, if you've never been, it's a must. I would recommend going at some point. It's one of those places that I think people will be visiting for, you know, maybe hundreds of years. I mean, it's just, uh, it's an incredible, an incredible museum. The museum itself is is fantastic. And I want to talk a little bit about that before I get mm-hmm. to Iris's because mm-hmm. the experience of going to the Getty, well, I oftentimes went with, like I said, with my family, my, you know, we would have family in from out of town. We would take them. Um, but oftentimes my kids would be with us. And when they were younger, it's kind of uh, a different experience going to a museum <laughs> and trying to enjoy art when you're with, when you're with young kids. But I would always find time to make it to this one particular room. But to get to the Getty, you have to, first of all, they want you to make a reservation. So you have to plan ahead and you have to, you park like at street level and then you get on a, a tram that takes you up to the top of this hill, but it very purposefully takes you there slow. Mm. And you start to, as on your way up, you're, you start to, you go from this parking lot to, you start to go through gardens almost in the beautiful mm. terratine uh, stone all the way up. And it's done purposely so that, slowly so that you are leaving the city behind. Mm-hmm. And all those things, and making it to the top so that you can be present in a way that you wouldn't be necessarily if you just walked right off the street and and through the mm-hmm. front doors. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful. I've done that land the uh, architecture tour up there a couple times, and you, you know, so you can learn about everything uh, about the building, about the the fact that they imported all the stone from Italy, and all you know, all these uh, all these things. But so the building itself is a piece of art. I mean, the building mm-hmm. itself, you're, you're emerging and the gardens outside are, there's a labyrinth in the, in the back. And it's just, you know, it's just a beautiful, beautifully designed 
piece of property mm-hmm. and it gets you in the right mind before you even enter into any of the mm-hmm. any of the galleries mm-hmm. so as i said i've i've often gone with other people but i've also gone alone and it's been interesting it's interesting to go alone to a museum when you've already had the experience with others and then to go alone and do the things that to spend longer periods of time in areas that you want to spend time in without worrying about what everybody else is doing with you. So there is one particular room in the Getty that I'm always wanting to spend as much time as I, as I can in. And that, that room has, is the room with the Renoirs and the Monets. And I enter that room and I, I know that on the far wall (laughs) is the irises. And, um, I do everything that I can to not even get a glimpse of it as I'm <laughs> as I'm experiencing the other artwork, uh, but it's beckoning me, mm, right? Because mm, I just mm, find it, mm, I just find it so mm. so beautiful. So I'll sit with some of the other paintings along the way, and then approach the irises from the front, and I just there's something about the composition and the color um, that draws you in, and affects affects you and a little bit of backstory in may of 1889 after van gogh had some episodes of self-mutilization and hospitalization he was in an asylum in saint remy france and there in the last year before his death he created almost 130 paintings and within the first week, he began the irises. And the irises are, they were painted from the grounds of the asylum. That's where he found this beauty. And that's where he, he created these, these things. And he, he was thinking them of them just as study, right? But his brother Theo saw them as much more than that. And I love that this beauty wasn't, would, would not have been discovered were it not for relationship, right? Like, like you were saying. Um, and there's there's no known drawings of painting, and mm. so mm. they they think that he just painted directly to the canvas to the canvases as he was doing these. Each one of them is unique. Each one of the the paintings of the irises is unique. He very obviously carefully studied the movements. You can see a lot of movement of the irises in, oh, in, in here. Yeah, um, yeah. There's the, the silhouettes, the twisting colors, and just incredible, incredible work. And just having the opportunity to allow the this the irises as I'm looking at them right now to affect me mm. and to see the the depth of the colors and mm. just you know just absolutely beautiful mm. yeah I, I, I too, I, I, uh, not, I've not seen this at the Getty, not had the opportunity to do that, but in meditating on this over the course of our time this past week, I am struck by that notion. Well, first of all, that, that, that he didn't do studies on, that he didn't do drawings about mm-hmm. this beforehand. That it did, like, okay, that's just, that's, that's something that's in and of itself. When you look at the detail. Yeah. And this, the beauty of how the detail is at the same time, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a, a painting of realism, right? It's, it's not, mm-hmm. 
it's not a strict painting of what I like. There's a certain, you know, it's, it's, it's in this genre of imagination that we are imagining the irises to be, they're pointing us to something and yet they are still grounded. There is, there is so much about them that feels so real. And I, I like, I'm struck by what, uh, I think the word, uh, not, not, not in a, uh, in a weak way, but like, I, I, I sense the word fragile and by fragile, not weak, but, but delicate, maybe delicate is a better word. Right. You were going to say something. No, I was going to say, so I have irises in my yard that these purple, just, just exactly like, you know, just like this. And they, they're gorgeous, but they're so top heavy Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and fragile that mm-hmm. you either need to tie them up to get them to stay up in their beauty or they 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 they're laying on the sidewalk so yeah, yeah. it is there there is a very yeah. much an, a, a sense of the fragility of of the irises in this painting yeah and i think about like uh, so i'm 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 looking at this even now today and uh, my mind is taken back to where i've just been for the last day and a half mm. in this intensive mm. And I, I think about the delicacy of the, some of the stories that have very, very tentatively come into the room, worried that they're going to be asked to leave. And they are worried that they also, top-heavy as they will be, will, 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 will you know, totter over, and the community holds them. Mm-hmm. And the community gazes. Uh, un- fearlessly, unflinchingly. Tell me more about your rage. Tell me more about your grief. Uh, one person said that you know their concern was like the, the tears. That they're so like, well, why can't I get the tears? They, I should be done with these these tears by now. And so that that the tears were still flowing was an embarrassment. To which, to a person in the room put to words to say we want to be here for as long as the tears are coming as we like to say in our work that tears are the soul running for daylight and we want to be hospitable to them Hmm. even things that feel fragile like the irises because when we are open again it's this being hospitable to beauty that comes in this most surprising ways there's just i mean we could go on and on about this yeah thank you Thank you for that. It's, I just, I love what, how we can allow the pause of beauty to affect us. Yeah. 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 So this next week, for next week's artistic offering, we are going to be looking at nature and the beauty of nature. And what we would absolutely love is if while you're out in nature, if you could take a photograph, take a photograph of yourself in nature, take a photograph of of nature that causes you to pause and email those photos to us at being known podcast at icloud.com and we would love to share those with the online community so mm-hmm. that uh, we can all experience beauty through the through the eyes of of one another um, mm-hmm. and we will be back to talk about that next week so if you're watching us on youtube know that Amy Cella, who is no longer a Novid, but she has COVID, um, <laughs> will be joining us and, uh, and uh, will be doing her best to deal with us while she's not feeling well. So stick around for that, Kurt. I love you. Thank you for today. 
Love you, man. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.